I'm so humbled to be able to share God's word with you today. You know, the last time that they let me up here by myself, a couple of crazy things happened. All right. We had a medical emergency the first time. Not joking. And then the second time somebody had came in and had to be escorted out. So all of that to say, I don't know what's going to happen this morning. All right. Just buckle, buckle your seatbelts. Things might get a little unhinged, but it's okay. We're going to, we're going to ride this roller coaster together. Hey, Daniel chapter 5, we are in a series called 10X, and a couple of weeks ago, we looked at Daniel chapter 4. Now, Daniel chapter 4 is about a king named Nebuchadnezzar, and it really is about a king who came to the end of himself. He ultimately humbled himself before the Lord, and if Daniel chapter 4 is about a king who humbled himself before the Lord, Daniel chapter 5 is about a king who exalted himself against the Lord. And I was reading this story again yesterday, but the very last verse of chapter four caught my attention because it kind of foreshadows what Daniel chapter five is all about. He says, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the king of heaven. His acts are just and true, and he is able to humble those who are proud. So that is a very telling verse of what we're about to look at. Now, some mistakes we make on our own, right? How many of you, come on, you've made a mistake and you learned the lesson. You're not going back. You're not doing that again. I have found that it's always better to learn from the mistakes of others. Don't look at the person next to you, but it always is better to learn from the mistakes of others. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at the mistake of a king named Belshazzar, and we're going to be talking similar to what Terry mentioned, about this theme of humility. And so Daniel chapter 5. But let me share a few things about humility before we jump in. Humility, if you're taking notes, is the way of the kingdom. Humility is the way of the kingdom. And we learn about humility through the example of Christ. Listen to what Philippians chapter 2, 7 and 8 says about Jesus' humility. It says, rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness, he was found in the appearance of man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, the scriptures say that we are to clothe ourselves in humility. And so I hope that I hope that you wore your humility this morning and you didn't leave it at home in the closet. Because it's really important, the scriptures declare that we walk in humility, that we have attitudes of humility. And humility does many things for us, but just three things I would like to highlight. Humility is what we need to inherit our salvation, to receive our salvation. You have to be humble in order to come to the end of yourself and call upon Jesus, right? We also need humility to grow in the grace of God, to mature and the grace of God. That's his, his power and his influence over a lifetime. And then we need humility to inherit God's kingdom. And so from start to finish, humility, I would say, is the most essential virtue, the root of all other virtues that we need as Christ followers. And notice I said virtue and not attitude. It is a virtue, a positive habit that we have to continuously cultivate throughout our life. And I've heard people say, don't pray for humility because that is the prayer God will answer right away. 
You might find yourself doing some dishes after service today. If you pray for humility, maybe some laundry, maybe a bathroom. I know I got a bathroom at home that my wife is looking forward to me cleaning after church. So a lesson in humility. But humility, I'll say, is an everyday muscle that must be must be exercised in the life of a Christ follower. And we can say we want humility all we want, but we really get humility by doing humble things. Amen. I think John the Baptist sums it up best when he says, I must decrease and you must increase. I must decrease. You must increase. Now, let's juxtapose all of that, everything on humility with Daniel chapter 5. I'm going to paraphrase the story because it's awfully long, but it's about this king, Belshazzar, who ends up throwing a wild party to his own demise. So don't throw a party. That's not that simple, is it? What happens at this party is he invites thousands of his nobles, thousands of individuals to celebrate just with him. And it says at this party that he invited nobles, concubines, and his wives. So he has the most important people in the country here at his party. They're all drinking wine together, celebrating, feasting, doing what people do at parties. Now, interesting insight. When I was looking into the historical context for this sermon, I I found something really interesting. The same time that he's throwing this wild party, at the exact same time, it is said that the Medo-Persian army is surrounding Babylon. So this man is throwing a party when he should be solving a problem. That'll preach. He is throwing a party when there is an army right outside his door. It just kind of speaks to the arrogance that this man has. But when it comes to this wild party, something happens, something very detrimental to him happens when he orders that the holy things of God, they are goblets, they're cups. He orders them to be brought to this party so he, his nobles, his concubines, and his wives can drink from them and praise the gods of gold, silver, iron, wood, and stone. What happens next is something I would definitely not want to happen to me. It says that the moment that he and all those other people drank and gave praise to these idols. The fingers of a man's hand, not even, the scriptures don't even say a full hand appeared out of nowhere. It says the fingers of a man's hand began writing a message on the wall. That's something out of a horror movie. Now, maybe you're the type to go and explore that. That's good for you. I'm out. I'm running the opposite direction if I see fingers writing something on the wall. Because my guess is that this is not a love note to Belshazzar from the Lord. But it says that for obvious reasons, he's frightened. And he tries to find enchanters and astrologers, magicians, really anybody who can tell him what the handwriting on the wall means. And so, unfortunately... Nobody could. Until his mom walks in. Now, moms, I need you to help me preach this. His mom walks in and says, Belshazzar, you know that your father had somebody 
that he would call upon for matters like this. You should call for Daniel. Now, moms, how many of you know that if your kids would just listen to you the first time, they might find a solution to their problem just a little bit quicker? All the moms said, amen. So that's what he does. And it says this about Daniel in Daniel chapter 5, verse 12. He, Daniel, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding. Also, the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Now, that is a prayer that I pray over our students every single week. I pray that there is a generation of Christ followers, a generation of students that are described in that capacity. A keen mind, understanding and knowledge, and the ability to solve difficult problems. Now, long story short, Daniel comes, he pronounces judgment, and judgment is carried out. We're told that Belshazzar ends up being removed from his position and actually perishes that night. Everything that Daniel reads ends up coming true. But I want to read verses 18 18 through 22 to kind of give a little bit more insight into our conversation regarding humility today. It's going to be on the screen, but if you're following along, verse 18, it says this. This is Daniel to the king. Your majesty, the most high God, gave your father, Nebuchadnezzar, sovereignty, greatness, glory, and splendor. Because of his high position, he gave him all the nations and peoples of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He's He's recapping everything that happened in the life of his father. And then he says this in verse 22. You, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself. And this is so important. Though you knew all of this. Instead, you have set yourself up. You have exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets, the cups from the temple brought to you, your nobles, your wives, and your concubines, and you drank from them while you praised the gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. And listen to this, which cannot see, nor hear, nor understand. When God confronts idolatry in the scriptures, he almost always uses that phrase when talking about the idols. They can't see, they can't hear, And they can't understand. They have no capacity for relationship. Which is everything that we receive through Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. And then he says this. This is is the mic drop moment for Daniel. He says, you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and your ways. And as the result of his pride, we know he was humbled. Why don't you look at somebody and stay Stay humble. (laughs) May God bless the reading of his word this morning. Before we dive into some of the the main, main points, let me just share a few more thoughts about humility. We admire humility, don't we, when we see it in somebody else's life? 
We admire when somebody is willing to kind of lower themselves and serve, when somebody is willing to turn the other cheek or forgive or be gracious to something that we did wrong or we're able to do that for them, vice versa. We admire humility. But in antiquity, it was not so. Humility was actually seen as something associated with failure and shame. Really interesting, isn't it? How far we've come. Before Jesus, there was actually no pagan author that mentioned humility in a positive manner. So humility was really something that Jesus himself introduced. But even so, you would be encouraged to have humility before the gods because they could kill you. So that's what makes this story of pride so provocative. This king, Belshazzar, he didn't have humility with others, and he certainly didn't have humility before the Lord. And that is why he's the object of our conversation this morning. But Daniel says three things when he confronts Belshazzar. I read them in the text. I'm going to read them again. And then we're going to look at three lessons about what not to do in regards to pride and humility. So Daniel, he says this, You have not humbled yourself, though you knew all of this. You exalted yourself against the Lord. And then he says, You did not glorify the God who holds in his hand your life and ways. So we're going to look at this first one. You have not humbled yourself, though you knew all of this. And this is lesson one, if you're taking notes. The lesson of the worn out triangle. The lesson of the worn out triangle. Now theologians have talked about your conscience being being like a triangle in your heart. And every time you violate your conscience, what happens is that triangle turns and pricks your heart. And if you do that long enough, then what happens is the points of that triangle become corroded and you end up feeling nothing in regards to your decisions. Your, your conscience, it really is your, your inner witness. It is the traffic light, if I can use that kind of metaphor. It is the traffic light for your decisions. It's, it's what you look to to do something or to not do something, to say something or to not say something. And essentially, the conscience is how your Holy, the Holy Spirit will speak to you. It's through your conscience that the Holy Spirit will often speak to you. Jesus said this about the Holy Spirit. He said, the Holy Spirit would remind you of everything that I said. Everything that I said, which means the Holy Spirit will bring reminders to our mind. He'll bring verses, images, reminders, things like that. The list could go on and on, but it's through our conscience that the Lord often speaks. And because the conscience plays such an important role in our relationship with the Lord, Paul describes it as imperative to keep a clear conscience. Imperative. Not for our sake alone, but also for the sake of others, he talks about in the book of Corinthians. So it is imperative because in Paul's mind, the conscience is in direct relationship or direct connection with the heart. And so the condition of your heart often informs your conscience. And so what happens is 
if we make a decision in good faith and we wholeheartedly or sincerely attempt to move towards the Lord, then our heart becomes softened towards him. But the opposite is also true. If we deliberately go against our inner witness, what we feel like the Holy Spirit might be saying to us, bless you, and we, and we go against that, then what happens is our heart becomes hardened towards the Lord. Hebrews 2 sums it up like this. When you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. When you hear his voice, don't harden in your heart. Now, I have no doubt that the Lord not only spoke through Nebuchadnezzar's example to Belshazzar, but the Lord spoke to his conscience. Because we read throughout the scriptures that the Lord is gracious. He's patient for our sake. That wasn't just written to us in 2023. That was written to them as well. He is patient for our sake. And so I can only assume that the Lord was speaking to Belshazzar the whole time. And I can only assume that he continuously violated his conscience. He ignored the prick. And eventually, his heart became cyclical and corroded. And it led to his demise. He could never come to a place where he humbled himself. And that's a lesson for you and I. In order to preserve a humble heart, we have to keep a clear conscience. How do we do that? By living in the boundaries of God's word. We keep a clear conscience by living in the boundaries of God's word. That's the lesson of the worn out triangle. The next lesson, I know you're going to like this. Listen to Denzel. Now, if your mind went to Denzel Washington, you're correct. So you can give yourself a pat on the back. I am going to bring that full circle in just a moment. But let me say this. I want you to think about this with me. Belshazzar's life ultimately came down to how he treated a cup. His entire life, his entire kingdom brought down to this one moment regarding how he treated a cup. What does this cup have to do with anything? Well, this cup represents Belshazzar's life. And it represents our life. And the cup is a metaphor for our life because we are called, we are created to be vessels for God's glory. And listen to what 2 Timothy 2, 20 through 21 says about this. It's going to be on the screen. This is the amplified version. It says, now in a large house, there are not only vessels for objects of gold and silver, but also vessels and objects of wood and earthenware. Some are, from honor, some are for honorable, noble, good use. Some are for dishonorable, ignoble, common use. And then he says this, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, which are dishonorable, disobedient, sinful, he will be a vessel for honor, set apart for a special purpose 
And I love this, useful to the master, productive for every good work. I love that. What's the bottom line? The cup is sacred. Our life is sacred. The scriptures teach that God is the one who created us for himself. It says that Christ bought us at a high price. Therefore, with our bodies, we are to honor and glorify God. What was Belshazzar doing? The opposite. And the question that I think we have to ask ourselves is this. Are we using what God has set apart, namely our life, for sacred or for sinful ways? That's the question. And I hope that for us the answer can be sacred. Because we were bought at a high price. And we are to honor God with our body. Now that's the broad stroke. Now I want to narrow it down a little bit. And get a little bit more specific if that's okay. In the narrow sense, it says that in our story, the moment Belshazzar used this cup for idolatry, the fingers of a hand showed up and began writing on the wall. Throughout the scriptures, the Holy Spirit is referenced as the finger of God. And so what happens when God points his finger? He deals with the cup. The cup, not only in a broad sense, can represent our life, but in a more narrow sense can represent something specific that the Lord is trying to deal with us about. Whether it be a relationship, how we handle our finances, a certain attitude or affection or sin that we have, it is the cup that God puts his finger on. He deals with us in specific specifics, not vague generalities. Amen? He's always specific. And I often, I often find that when people come to me and they ask what they think the Lord would have them to do, they already know. And I'm guilty of this. I'm going to tell on myself. I have gone to people knowing what the Lord wants me to do, only to try and share my opinion and steer them in a different direction so I can justify my disobedience. Just telling on myself. I know I'm the only one. I I already know. But oftentimes, the Lord, long before we talk to somebody else, is already dealing with us. Because he's faithful. He's not going to try and catch us off guard. He's not going to try and surprise us that way. He is a good God, and he only does good. He deals with specifics. Now, my question is, what's your cup? What is your cup today that maybe the Lord is trying to deal with? That specific thing. Here's what we need to understand in regards to the cup. And in regards to the finger of God, whatever God puts his finger on, it's our response that often determines what happens next. Belshazzar, he chose an inappropriate response. But you and I, we can learn from his mistake and we can move forward with wisdom. When the finger had written on the wall, it shared a phrase, and I'm not going to try to pronounce the phrase because I'm going to butcher it, but one of the interpretations that Daniel had was this, Belshazzar, you have been weighed on the scales and have been found 
wanting. You've been weighed on the scales, and you've been found wanting. Now, this is just the youth pastor in me, but when I read that, I automatically thought of a bag of chips. Have you ever went to the grocery store, got a bag, thinking it's full, because it's puffy, right? Only to go home, open it up, and realize you're found wanting. There's not much in there. What was Belshazzar found wanting? He was found wanting everything other than God. He was found wanting everything other than God. And perhaps he tried to hide that. Just like you and I can often try to hide that. We want everything other than God, but we know enough of the game to put on game face and fool everybody. Again, I'm very guilty of this. But I've learned this about God, and I'm sure you have too. God, He sees us as we are, not as we appear to be. He sees us as we are, not as we appear to be. At this point, you're probably wondering how Denzel Washington plays into this whole point. Right? I hope so. There was a New York Times interview that Denzel was involved in. And in the interview, he said this phrase that I thought was just powerful. He said to the interviewer, don't play with God. I just imagine him like putting his finger up like, Mm-mm, don't play with God. Don't do it. What, what, what do I think he means when he says don't play with God? I think a few things. I think don't mock God. Don't try to play God to your advantage. Don't try to make God a God that you can control instead of submit to. And take God seriously. Because he is so serious about his word. And he's just as serious about blessing us as he is anything else in the scriptures. So don't play with God. That is the lesson. That is the lesson. Listen to Denzel. Don't play with God. The final, the final thing that Daniel mentioned to Belshazzar was this. You did not glorify the God who in his hand, in his hand, holds your life in ways. You didn't glorify him. The translation, in my mind, is you never called upon the name of the Lord. His predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, came to that place. Daniel chapter 4, it says this, I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the king of heaven. So Nebuchadnezzar came to that place, but Belshazzar never came to that place. Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, describes Christians as people who call upon the name of the Lord. Isn't that interesting? Christians are people who call upon the name of the Lord. In, in my mind, I think that's prayer. We are people of prayer. What did Jesus say about his church? They would be called a house of prayer. And so calling upon the name of the Lord should be our nature. It should be our first response, not our last resort. We are people who call on his name. And I don't want to be somebody who has to wait for God to speak dramatically before I give him my attention. Belshazzar, he let it get to the point where God had to literally 
show up in finger form and write on the wall. I hope to be somebody who listens to my conscience long before a moment like that happens. And when it comes to hearing God's voice and listening to God, he speaks in a variety of ways. Conscience is just one of them. He can speak through community. He can speak through creation. He can speak through his word clearly. He can speak through counsel, but he also speaks through calamity, which we see in our story today. But I think the takeaway should be this. God does not have a speaking problem. We have a hearing problem. God does not have a speaking problem. We have a hearing problem. And worship team, you can go ahead and come on up. It reminds me, all of this, of the lesson of answering the unknown number. That's the third lesson today. Answer the unknown number. A couple years ago, this is a true story. There was a hiker who got lost in the mountains of Colorado. He was climbing 14ers, 14,000 foot peaks. It says that he got lost for over 24 hours. And they had sent rescue teams out throughout the day to go and find him. Well, get this. He would have been found sooner but he kept hitting decline on the numbers that were calling him because he didn't recognize them. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm lost in the mountain, hello, somebody, I don't care who you are, come find me. I don't know what was going through this man's head, but I think the truth of the matter is that we are all like that hiker, aren't we? God is calling, but we're hitting decline. Or maybe for some of you today, God's been calling, but you're just unfamiliar with his ways. You're unfamiliar with how he does things. And so out of ignorance, you've been hitting decline. But this morning, I just felt very strongly to say, may I humbly ask you to stop hitting decline on God's call. Because listen, it might just result in your salvation. It might just result in you going from feeling lost to being found, from feeling dead to feeling alive, from walking in darkness to walking in light. Don't hit decline on God's number. He's calling out to you. And I can, I can just think back to when I first decided to follow the Lord. God called to me, but I wanted to do things my own way. It's almost as if I enjoyed being lost. But eventually, I came to realize that there is nothing in this life. There's no relationship. There's no amount of money. There's no amount of things that I could ever possess. Nothing nice enough that could ever satisfy my heart. And maybe, maybe you start are starting to realize that today maybe for you you're realizing i feel like i've understood that but now it's just kind of sinking in and i would just like to end with one of my favorite quotes it's this it's from a church father named augustine he says you have created us for 
yourself. You've made us for yourself. Oh Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Our heart is restless until it rests in you. There's no achievement that you could ever achieve that is going to satisfy you. There's no amount of money. There is nothing in this world that could ever satisfy you except Jesus because your heart was created for him. And I know what it's like to allow restlessness to carry me down sinful paths. But I found if I would have just known the outcome beforehand, I would have rejected that path outright because it only led to destruction. Would you stand with me all across this room? We're entering into the third third of our service. We like to say that we begin with worship, we find ourselves in the word, and then we conclude with prayer. I don't know if you know this, but you're a part of a praying church. And so as we just respond to the Lord this morning, would you close your eyes with me? And would you put your hands out in front of you, palms up? If this is your first time, we don't do this for any other reason but a sign of humility. This isn't religious obligation. This isn't duty. We do this because we desire God and we want to receive from him and his word this morning. And now... I want you to pray with me, not in your head, not in your heart, but with a gentle whisper. I just want you to begin to pray for a fresh surrender. I want you to just begin to pray, Lord, I surrender to you today. Maybe you've wandered. You can come back and say, Lord, here I am. I'm yours. I'm done hitting decline. I'm done ignoring you. I'm coming back home. Just in a gentle whisper. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord. Let me just say this. He is the God man. He left his throne in heaven to come to earth. He says in the Bible, he put on flesh and bone. He became one of us. He understands all of the temptations that we go through, yet he himself never sinned. He ultimately paid the price by dying a criminal's death on a cross. He was being obedient to God because it would result in our salvation. He not only paid the price and the penalty, but he also took away the power of sin. It doesn't have to rule over your life anymore. You don't have to go any further living for yourself. You can now live for the glory of God. He can produce a change of heart within you. He can give you new and right desires. And if that's you this morning, I just want you to begin to say, Lord, I confess that I need you. I'm a sinner. I've hurt your heart. I know this. But I want to turn from my, from my ways, from my path, and I want to begin to follow yours. And now I just want us to pray through some of these lessons that we learned. The first one being the lesson of our conscience, the worn out triangle. I want, I want you to pray for a sensitive conscience. 
a conscience that you cannot easily violate, a conscience that is quick to obey the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We learned about the conscience and we also learned about the cup. It's our life. It is sacred before the Lord. Maybe you feel like you've been using your life in sinful ways instead of sacred ways. Why don't you just take the moment and just say, Lord, I'm sorry. And I want to give my life to you. I want to use my life and my body for your glory. Thank you, Jesus.